and welcome to Schlock Tactics, the movie podcast where we believe badder is better and aim to review the insufferable superhero suck fest so that you don't have to. My name is Ash and I'm joined by Mark. Oh, hi, Mark. Hi there. Have you seen any good movies lately? No, of course not. Great. <laughs> then we can move on. Obviously, you may have noticed we did launch recently the podcast and we released three episodes uh, all in one whack, pretty much, all in one weekend. And we just want to thank everyone that's listened to the podcast, everyone that's uh, gone back to us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook to let us know that they enjoyed it. We do appreciate that and we appreciate that you are out there listening. So continue to do that, continue to, to let us know and continue to rate us on iTunes. But today we are going to be reviewing two superhero films. We're moving away from the horror and the B-movie stuff we've done in the last couple of episodes and we're going to go a slightly different direction. And uh, We're going to review Supergirl from 1984 and Catwoman from 2004. Now, just in case you're thinking that we're picking on the girls here, we're not. These are two films that really came out long before the current trend for superhero films. And nowadays, you can't turn around without bumping into a superhero film, particularly a superhero film based on someone you've never heard of. So we thought we'd go back and review two early attempts to spin off uh, superhero uh, characters from existing universes to varying levels of success. <laughs> but nowadays, it's pretty commonplace to pick any old Tom, Dick and Harry from a, a comic book and give them a film and uh, it does pretty well but these two films didn't do very well <laughs> so that's why we want to review these first of all we're going to uh, get into Supergirl from 1984 of course a spin-off of Superman and most notably the, the Christopher Reeve based um, Superman films from the late 70s and early 80s what were your first impressions of Supergirl that we've watched here Mark? The effects were even tackier than I was expecting them to be <laughs> really? Yes. It was very sort of fantasy in your face from the very start. The names, objects as well. Had you seen any of the Christopher Reeve Superman films? Seen the original. Yeah. I think I've seen not. bits and, and bobs in when I was a kid, but yeah, I can't remember too much about it other than there were sort of people using weird big words. Mm. And that was kind of carried through to, to this one. It's established in this film that Supergirl is the cousin of Superman, who doesn't appear in this film and I actually right at the beginning I don't know if you noticed it's, uh, there is a car radio that says that Superman is on a peacekeeping mission to another planet ah. and the translation is Christopher Reeve didn't want anything to do with this film <laughs> he, he was not going to be appearing in the film and despite many references to Superman throughout the film hmm. you do not get Christopher Reeve in this film so yeah. I want to warn people if you're, if you're checking this out based on the Superman films you won't get Superman don't get excited no <laughs> <laughs> you will get Supergirl kind of similar quite a strong cast I would say actually of actors in this one there's Faye Dunaway who plays the sort of mystical uh, Selina character yeah. uh, her partner Nigel who's played by Peter Cook and then you even get Peter O'Toole as well playing a character called Zoltar mm. um, at various points throughout the film who is kind of a I guess from the planet Krypton they never really established if they're on the planet Krypton or not but he's yeah. dressed in sort of weird clothes so we led to believe that so actually starring as Supergirl is a, a, an unknown actress at the time called Helen Slater 
Now that's not a very Hollywood name, Helen Slater. It's not a name that I know particularly. No, I mean it sounds like someone that works down the chip shop <laughs> or in the laundrette or yeah. something. Uh, the only other film that Helen Slater really would do is a film called The Legend of Billy Jean, which came out a year after this and is also quite well known in bad film circles. It's a, sort of a mid eighties retelling of Joan of Arc. So that's really the only thing other thing she did apart from Supergirl. Yeah, we do start off on the planet Krypton, I believe, with Zoltar, Peter O'Toole's character, kind of dicking about with a, a magic wand a sort of shiny ball there's mentions straight away of an omega hedron <laughs> and some sixth dimensional geometry yeah. so Supergirl you know she's like any other kind of um, teenage girl she doesn't want to do her sixth dimensional geometry homework the, one of the characters describes Zoltar as just making lots of airy glittery stuff <laughs> a great bit of bit of screenwriting there and yeah he basically gives her this Omega Hedron and she starts sticking about with it as well and, and ends up kind of getting sucked out of this planet inside a ball sphere yeah. going through space a sort of psychedelic time travel I'm not I'm not really sure what, what was happening here what, what was happening Mark? I have no idea the main thing I thought was that this seemed to belong in the 70s more than the 80s though it definitely made yeah. me think of more of like a 70s <laughs> It was quite misty. Yeah. Misty screened. And that and kind of, I don't um, know that maybe that's the case on Krypton, but... Um, not a million miles away from, like, Zardoz or something <laughs> like that, or yeah. Silent Running or something like that. I, I thought of Zardoz a few times during yeah. this film, and I'm sure our listeners are, will be familiar with, with Zardoz. There was definitely that 70s kind of hippie-ish chic to the alien mm. people, the, the Krypton people. And Supergirl does get shot straight from Krypton in a little ball she does appear on Earth out of the sky and, and falls into the lap of Nigel and Selina who initially you kind of led to believe in New Age hippies who were, who were talking about magic and spells and stuff like that mm. and throughout the film they kind of grow more and more malevolent and witchcraft is introduced and Satanism in parts yeah. I thought these characters would probably be throwaway uh, initially but they turned out to be kind of the villains for the rest of the film mm. Supergirl, obviously in any film like this, the superhero finds themselves in a normal setting and then they discover their kind of powers and that's when she discovers that she can fly she just looked like she was off her tits in this part she was flying about throwing shapes doing a bit of ballet interpretive dance a very extensive scene of just gliding around aimlessly to just show off her power I, I think suppose. she was yeah calibrating her flying skills that yeah. perhaps she'd never used before but it was a ridiculous scene and she did look, it, it looked quite druggy <laughs> <laughs> she looked like she was on some sort of trip here when she was discovering to fly <laughs> And then you kind of you're thrown straight then into your your first kind of example of exactly what you would expect is the character flying in front of a green screen showing mountains, cityscape, rivers, terrain, all, all that stuff that obviously was done very extensively in the uh, Christopher Reeve Superman films. Uh, after this, we do start to find a little, uh, a little bit more about uh, Selina and Nigel characters, and we start to sort of learn that they're not just kind of hippies, more sort of witches, or at least. Selena's character is a witch and her and her little um, sidekick sort of live 
in a ghost train in an abandoned fairground, which took me a long time to realise that that's what it was. Yeah. You think initially it's just some awful set from the 30s that <laughs> they rented, but it's actually meant to be a cheesy-looking ghost train. <laughs> you get the idea then that it, she's actually well into witchcraft. She's reading all sorts of books about that, and now she's come into possession of the Omega Hedron, although she doesn't know what it is yet, but she's got that, and Supergirl is without it, and that's the kind of the central plot to this film. If there is a plot, there's not much of a plot. Crux of the whole film. Yeah. Basically. It's a very small point to base the whole film around, and it wasn't clear why Supergirl came to Earth, what she was going to do when she got there. It didn't seem that bothered that she'd ended up on Earth. She just kind of carried on normally. <laughs> didn't seem that bothered that the Omega Hedron had fallen into the hands of Selena. She just goes about her business, becomes a schoolgirl, uh, just joins uh, uh, an all-girls school. It, one of her powers, we learned at this point, is the sort of um, power of disguise. In an instant, like, she'll walk behind a tree and then she'll be wearing one outfit. She passes through another tree, she's wearing another outfit. As she goes about four outfits and she comes out the other side as a schoolgirl and, she, you know, of course, she's got dark hair um, when originally she was blonde. That's just how nobody knows who she is. Hmm. Like Clark Kent wears glasses. Superman doesn't. This is maybe a bit more effort. It's a blonde girl and a dark-haired girl. There's a sort of a Kaiser Soze moment where the teacher asks her what her name is and it <laughs> zooms in on General Robert E. Lee. <laughs> and she goes, Linda Lee? <laughs> yeah, this was a really funny crash zoom. Interestingly, the director of this film, the only other thing he really directed was Jaws 2. <laughs> so maybe he yeah. picked up a bit of crash zoom from his work on yeah. Jaws. Jaws 2, not the worst Jaws sequel, but it's up there. Mm. And we'll, we'll get to those on another another show, I'm sure. But th- th- this was his experience I felt he brought to this film, uh, was the old crash zoom. And yeah, she's asked what her name is, has to think fast. Not that fast, it's <laughs> a super kill. But it zooms in on General Robert Lee. So she says Linda Lee, and it was a big laugh. And yeah, I'm sure if we were seeing this with an audience, they would have all pissed themselves. Yeah. It was a good moment. <laughs> so then the teacher goes out of the room and she decides oh, she, she needs to uh, do some forgery so that she appears to be a student in this school. So then we see obviously the power of moving really fast. We've seen Superman do in the past. Mm. She uses the power of her lightning speed to forge papers to say that she should be in the school. But this teacher is really funny, mainly because he keeps making fun of her for being an orphan. Yeah. <laughs> which was amazing. She reveals to him that she is an orphan and he says, well, we're all alone on this miserable little planet. <laughs> and then it cuts straight away. It's a terrible um, school teacher here, but yeah, he does make friends with Lucy Lane, hmm. who, yeah, you guessed it, is the sister of Lois Lane. Yeah. Also not in this film. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody wants to be in this film. So yeah, we start to go through uh, school life with uh, with Linda Lee, aka Supergirl, um, learning to be a normal girl in school, just learning um, mathematics problems. All the while, uh, Selina is sort of stalking her near the school, trying to figure out where this um, hedron uh, come from, how to use it. And then, of, of course, uh, you know, Linda Lee is also a genius student, and she works out some sort of square root of five million or something like that, predicting the population growth or something wasn't it oh uh, yeah well. yeah something like that she she works out something that's impossible basically and the te- teacher is shocked <laughs> the excuse that her friend Lucy gives is that well we've had some crazy weather lately and you know how that can make you smart sometimes <laughs> and the teacher just looks at him like you are <laughs> <laughs> does that mean <laughs> 
At which point Linda points out, well, you know, I thought I was thought I was never that good at six-dimensional geometry. <laughs> now I am. So there you go. What a revelation. Yeah. Six-dimensional geometry on Krypton is like really impressive maths in this country. We see uh, the usual sort of school montages of sports and pranks in the shower. It all gets a bit like Porky's kind of teen uh, high school romp. A hockey ball smashes on a bat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wrote down one of her powers here was a back of steel. Mm. She, can, she can take a baseball full pelt to the back and she's fine. Uh, she's got ultra hearing. She can hear people whispering through the corridors as well, through the showers. So yeah. all kinds of powers that are getting rolled out one after the other, which I thought was quite fun. I didn't know whether Superman had any of these powers necessarily. I assume so. It's much more fun when you're in school, I suppose, to have superpowers. So yeah, we do cut back and forth between um, between Supergirl going to school and um, Selina living in a little ghost train trying to figure out how to uh, harness the immense power of the Omega Hedron. Nigel um, turns up because he's been kind of kicked to the curb by uh, by Selina here. He turns up at the ghost train because he wants to sort of help you know be involved with this thing. He's wearing sort of a wetsuit, sort of a leather kind of bike one piece. Yeah. And she answers the door and is like, what are you wearing? And he's like, I've got a few days off work, okay? I'm wearing my leisure suit. And you don't even see him full length and he doesn't wear it again. So I don't know what this was about. It was like a leather turtleneck um, from what we could see. And he just said, this is his leisure suit. It's what he likes to wear uh, on his time off, which maybe hinted at something else that he was into. But um, we do then get introduced to the kind of uh, the hunk of the film, which is the uh, the blue collar kind of landscape gardener thing New York accent called Ethan which I wasn't ready for either Ethan yeah. is the landscape gardener here and then um, Selena sort of uh, fancies a bit of that so she she crafts a love potion by putting a spider inside a chestnut that was weird that's how you get people to fall in love with Something you else I didn't really understand yeah if any, anyone listening you want to cast a love potion pop a spider in a chestnut <laughs> It all started to go a bit mad by this point, but one of the weirdest scenes in the film, I've just written down JCB Madness. Yeah. Because there's this quite expensive looking set piece where Linda and her friends are having having food at a diner and it's just like a big bulldozer goes on a rampage throughout the little town. Ethan the gardener is sort of swallowed up in the mouth of the bulldozer, if you want to call it that, the digger part. Lucy is in the, the sort of cockpit at one point, but she's knocked out. This thing's just tearing around the town. Things are catching on fire. It's escalated quickly. Um, what was going on here, Mark? I have no idea. It just sort of got <laughs> swallowed by this cherry picker thing. Buildings got smashed up and set on fire. And uh, it did seem quite extravagant, considering I didn't really know what was going on or why this was happening. Sort really. of. Yeah, I suppose it's the, it's the equivalent today would be like a monster smashing up a, a skyscraper, uh, you know, or a superhero getting thrown through a building. This was a little bit more low budget. This was a, a digger. Yeah. A digger driving quite recklessly around a pedestrianised area mm. um, but I think this is Selena still trying to figure out how to use the Omega Hedron and all she can do at this stage is control industrial machinery which is not that impressive Ethan the gardener he is okay in the end um, Linda finds him she shows off another one of her special powers which is improved medical diagnosis <laughs> she says it's okay none of your bones are broken yeah yeah she said you're gonna be alright there's no broken bones <laughs> <laughs> at a glance she can tell if any of your bones 
bones are broken. Yeah. Not a very good power. But obviously he kind of comes to and the first person he sees is her. Hence the love potion is activated and he falls in love with Linda Lee. Hmm. But not with Supergirl. Yeah. Which is the kind of a running kind of uh, subplot for the rest of the film that he, you know, he loves Linda Lee, the, the brunette girl. But who's this blonde haired girl in, in blue? Mm. Get away from me. Who are you? And yeah. Selena goes mad. Selena goes really mad. She's not happy. This is where it really goes mental. And I thought the, maybe the, the first and second act of the film, if they were sort of quite understated and not that much happening, the third act went from from naught to ridiculous yeah. in under 60 seconds as a lot of bad movies do they get to the third act and go shit we better we better go crazy and we better make this villain take over the world because up until this point the stakes are not high at all um, Supergirl's quite happy going to school Selena's pottering about with love potions and then all of a sudden she's I guess she's cracked the Omega Hedron and all of a sudden she's taken over the world a giant mountain with a castle on top appears near to the town for no apparent reason and they're essentially fighting over Ethan yes <laughs> Yes, in a in a in a, a, a lovely twist on on other kind of films, it is the the man that is being objectified and, and squabbled over, and it doesn't have anything useful to say at all. It's no. all about the women in this film, which is one of the better things about it. I think you know that all all the leads are female. The men don't have anything to do. Ethan is just eye candy, and I think that's uh, is nice for a change. All he says is like some really cheesy romantic stuff to Linda. Yeah, pre-love potion. He's like a an idiot. Yeah, he goes, "Yeah, I came, I came over to fix the uh, the plants. You ain't got no plants in this ghost train." <laughs> and then, as soon as he has a love potion, he's sort of Wordsworth and um, quoting sonnets yeah. and stuff like that, and has become quite an intelligent guy. So that's it. Wasn't really just a love potion; it was sort of an intelligence potion as well. Yeah, he ended up becoming the prince of the world when Selena was taking over the world. He started wearing a kind of velvet suit and ruffled sort of shirt and medallion. Yeah. He, like you say, very 70s. He was mm, from the 70s, definitely. especially as the film wore on. He was a Saturday Night Fever type character. Yeah. And he became the prince. And yeah, like you say, they were squabbling over, over a man here. That was pretty much what it was. Although she was taking over the world as well. She had raised some sort of private army, <laughs> which was people in sort of motorcycle helmets <laughs> with big sticks. Yeah. They were just battering the, um, the students, which is... It got all dystopian for a little bit. Yeah. It got, I mean, this was in 1984. <laughs> yeah, 1984 perhaps they thought they'd put a reference in there but for a time there were black clad men in motorcycle helmets beating the shit out of students with sticks yeah only for like one scene but I thought oh this is maybe a more interesting film <laughs> but they didn't they didn't go on with that it, it all it all kicks off there's a there's a confrontation in the fairground where um, Selena is able to control the waltzers telekinetically and she's also able to control the bumper cars um, in order to try and kill uh, Ethan. I thought that was quite a good scene, making good use of the fairground setting. At one point, she does say she is the siren of Endor. <laughs> so I thought Ewoks were going to start running out from behind her. It was one of her titles that she gave herself. I think a lot of this film's budget was wind machines. Yes. Any scene where Selena is sort of shouting her hair becomes the most massive backlit <laughs> 80s mop 
and this is where it did look 80s any sort of dramatic line had to be backed up with intense wind and hairspray yeah also true as Supergirl but not as much so goes to show big hair is evil but uh, something they also start using for no apparent reason is something that Nigel refers to as a Burundi wand which I thought for sure was a euphemism a massive monster um, to fight Supergirl as well and this looked terrible yeah the monster looked terrible and when Supergirl tried to fight it they tried to superimpose Supergirl onto this monster it went so wrong the aspect ratio she was stretched out or squished up you could see the monster's hands in the background and it was like what is this this is awful and the effects in the film weren't even that bad until this point they'd just been what you would expect of the time but this beggared belief that how they could mess up this optical illusion you just had to laugh out loud basically (laughs) why even bother like there was no need to have a giant monster in it it's not the kind of film that needs a giant monster anyway it was fine as it was so I thought that was stupid and it made made the special effects team look really garbage uh, as a result Mm. we missed a bit where they land on the beach and Selena smacks Ethan in the head with a coconut yeah that's quite funny so she goes back and forth with how powerful she is like she says you know I can make coconuts rain down from the sky with precision but I still can't take over the world yeah and that's her main problem here you know and then again this is where Ethan sort of is confused it's like I want Linda you're not Linda you know you've got blonde hair you can't be Linda Mm. and then he kisses her and he's like ah Linda (laughs) (laughs) he he recognises her then (laughs) yeah this just all it all gets really out of control really out of hand she ends up being banished to the phantom zone yes she ends up being banished to the phantom zone this is so unnecessary yeah Um, just left the planet briefly to end up on another planet where she could meet Zoltar again who has been languishing in this um, phantom zone spraying something into his mouth (laughs) and offering it to Supergirl I'm going to have a squirt do you want a squirt? who's writing this? I got totally lost here I was like what why is this happening? what's going on? I thought this was drugs again maybe he was he was just squirting this thing into his mouth he's like yeah it's not so bad after a while Ah, so it's drugs then. It's it's like heroin. It's LSD or something. He's like, here, have a squirt. You'll feel better. (laughs) You what? Um, But then he eventually figures out a loophole so she can return to Earth. All of this takes about six minutes. It didn't need to happen. I don't know if they were playing for time. It already felt like it should have ended. Mm. But then she does eventually land back on Earth. Defeats Selina. That's kind of it, I think. What were your overall thoughts on on Supergirl? Anything? Um, It was very tacky, very cheesy. It did make me laugh quite a number of times, though. There were some really good lines. I liked the um, the teacher when he was his lines about her being an orphan. He was in a comedy, and he knew he was. Yeah, not everyone did. (laughs) And um, yeah, some other lines like the way to a woman's heart is through the elimination of her rivals. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I was like. Interesting. Yeah. Um, I think the ending was just so dragged out. It just felt like they were playing for time time. somehow. I don't know why, but it could Mm -hmm. have ended several times before it did, and And it just didn't feel like much of a conclusion at the end then. Elongated with all these kind of strange scenes with random things happening. Yeah. 
I think there's quite a variety of kind of acting here. I think Helen Slater, for Wordsworth, did a pretty good job as Supergirl, trying to play it as straight as she could. And it's not easy to play that character who has to, you know, be the kind of alien who's on Earth and go, oh, what is this metal thing that you drive around in? You know, the fish out of water thing that some films do it awfully. And I thought she was quite good at, like, pretending, not, you know, not to know about Earth's customs and stuff like that. She yeah. she played it quite well and quite straight. But Faye Dunaway was so over the top and every scene she was in she was like chewing the scenery she yeah. was pantomime villain and that was also quite fun so <laughs> I don't know it was a film of two halves really I sort of enjoyed both aspects of it but um, again the stakes weren't high enough until right at the end when she was taking over the world yeah and then she was fairly easily defeated the rest of the film she was just wanted to control people <laughs> yeah she was kind of a weak villain really yeah. and that's kind of a, a theme for both of these films didn't do very well as you can imagine it kind of set back any kind of hope of a, any more female kind of leads in a superhero film for quite a while 20 years I'd say <laughs> <laughs> 20 years is about right yes so the next film we're going to get into here is a film which probably a lot of you have seen uh, one of the more recent films that we've reviewed so far on the podcast which is Catwoman from 2004 not that long ago mm. uh, at all what were your first impressions of, of Catwoman I don't know if you saw it at the time when it came out was this your first time no I'd it? never seen it I was well aware of it yeah um, I'd obviously seen the poster of Halle Berry wearing a cat mask yeah um I kind of got the impression early on that I wouldn't care about any of the characters. <laughs> and as the film went on... How early on? <laughs> I just sort of felt like none of the characters had any real depth or interest to them. Or... I mean, I think it's worth noting that obviously Supergirl from 1984 is really what you could consider the first wave of superhero movies with Superman films from the 70s and 80s, Batman films uh, from the 80s, and even some Spider-Man and Incredible Hulk stuff that was happening in the 70s and 80s. That's really when people started to adapt uh, comic book and superhero characters for the film. Now, if that was the first wave, then certainly the second wave does come in the early 2000s with stuff like Spider-Man, Sam Raimi's version, the Incredible Hulk, uh, Ang Lee's version, the X-Men films, mm. of which Halle Berry was a part. Yeah. <laughs> and then Catwoman here in 2004, kind of riding that, that second wave, that popularity they thought well why not let's spin off Catwoman who had already been portrayed in, in Tim Burton's Batman Returns but they thought let's spin it off here for another another go and let's make a full full blown version out of it to mixed results but like you say there you remember Halle Berry because she was a huge star she had won an Oscar in 2001 for her performance in Monsters Ball and like many actors that we'll probably review in the future on this show that have won an Oscar she immediately let it go to shit. Yeah. Much in the same way as Nicolas Cage, uh -huh. Liam Neeson, I'm looking at you. In the space of three years since winning the Oscar, she did Die Another Day, Gothica, <laughs> and Catwoman. <laughs> three what, rubbish films. What a triple of three of the worst films you'll ever see. And she's not a bad actor at all. She no. just won an o Oscar. She's a good actor, but she does some horrendous films mm. for, for whatever reason. And before we get into the film, what I would really recommend people watch, Halle Berry won the Razzie Award for Worst Actress for Catwoman three years after she won the <laughs> Oscar for Best Actress for Monsters Ball. 
And if you look on YouTube, she actually went to the Razzies to accept the award for Worst Actress. Wow. Clutching her Oscar in one hand and the Golden Razzie in the other. And she gives this whole acceptance speech, which is tongue-in-cheek at parts and very close to the bone in other parts yeah. she makes a whole big joke out of being put in this terrible film and that she had terrible actors to work with <laughs> but there's a lot of truth in it and yeah I would recommend people look that up because there's a fascinating lot of backstory to this film but let's get into the, the film itself here which you all want to hear us talk about so in Catwoman Halle Berry plays a character called Patience Phillips not Selena Kyle who you may remember is the actual real name of Catwoman in every every other form of media <laughs> they thought nah Patience Phillips we'll call uh, we'll call this Catwoman so it's one of these films where at the beginning <laughs> she dies at the beginning of the film you know how did I get here you're probably wondering one of these kind of wonder years um, opens to a film yeah. where she says you know I didn't really start living until I died you're like oh Jeezy. I wonder how she died yeah. let's find out <laughs> <laughs> so she's she's portraying a kind of a struggling graphic artist uh, type cat Character. They've tried to make her look plain and frumpy as much as you can make Halle Berry look plain and, yeah. and, and not that good looking, but it doesn't really work. She just wears lots of really baggy jumpers and, and she's working as a, a graphic designer, but for a sort of beauty company, mm. an evil beauty company which Very is evil. yeah which is again a common theme in these two films the stakes are just not high enough the evil villain mm. in this film is the CEO of a makeup a beauty company <laughs> who is selling makeup that will might give you some spots yeah. and a rash <laughs> that's the stakes here so we're introduced to uh, George Hedare of the Hedare cosmetic and beauty empire and um, we sort of initially think that he's going to be the kind of uh, the villain but then Sharon Stone cuts right in front of him <laughs> Laurel Hedare <laughs> and straight away makes quite an impression I, I've got to know Mark what were your thoughts on Sharon Stone's performance in this film straight off the bat interesting <laughs> she was awful yeah <laughs> uh, that's what I would say as soon as she gets on the screen she's like again chewing up the scenery pantomime villain where nobody else is doing this in the film hmm. <laughs> her husband talks about yes this is the this is the new model for our new campaign and then, and then she sort of goes steals his thunder yeah I hope you're not going to be taking her out to dinner ha 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 like that and then it's the kind of base soap opera wooden beyond wooden pantomime acting that Sharon yeah. Stone carries throughout this film and I've got to say if, if this film is, a, is a, a failure it's mostly because of Sharon Stone and she'll pop up a few times here in her performances Laurel used to be the face of the beauty company but now she was getting a bit old and she'd been replaced with a younger model and obviously she's quite bitter and jealous about this and there's yeah. a bit where she's standing in the foyer talking on the telephone two removal men walk past her carrying a giant picture of her as it's being chucked out basically <laughs> and as they walk past her she disappears from the shot after she walks past oh, yeah. as if to suggest her fading beauty or importance in, in this company <laughs> Patience then you know, she's in her apartment and she, she tries to rescue a, a cat from outside the apartment and then we're, we're introduced to Tom, the, the hunky cop in this one, the love interest, who thinks she's about to throw herself off the building. And she says, no, I'm just trying to rescue a cat. And this kind of sets up um, the whole love interest thing for the, for the rest of the film. And 
one of the worst things about this film is the music. It's so out of place and so poorly judged. It's this kind of funky R&B, yeah. porno R&B kind of elevator music. It's just so nothing. And they use it over every scene in the film, pretty much, no matter how dramatic comedic uh, life threatening it'll all yeah. have this kind of and it's like, very of its time it just seemed like at any point the film would just turn into a dance movie like like Step Up or something yeah no it did have, have that vibe to it lots of lots of that kind of urban R&B kind of yeah. playing behind it it's just it made it look stupid a lot of the time any kind of anything they were trying to get across was constantly undermined by this stupid music that would play when Tom was introduced he was uh, <clears throat> he came into the office and Sally Patience's best friend was just so over the top and it was just so cheesy and oh, yeah annoyed me she's playing the cliche <laughs> kind of oh my god you have to get his number yeah. he's such a dream boat uh, you know uh, extrovert to Patience's introvert of course and we'll, we'll see a transformation of, of Patience throughout the film obviously yeah. where she becomes much more extroverted I noticed about half an hour in um, I realised that Sally the actress who plays Sally is the voice of Lois in Family Guy oh is she yeah I, I was like that. wait a minute I recognise that voice she has that very nasal yeah quality yeah uh, but, oh well, well spotted I didn't notice that Patience at this point uh, she decides to for whatever reason Patience infiltrates the company late at night and she's she basically overhears privy to this sort of uh, discussion about the uh, beauty cream that they're selling which is quote turning people into monsters <laughs> it can give you nausea it can make you faint give you an uncomfortable rash on the side of your face and the scientist is he's having a, a moral dilemma it's not what I signed up for I, you know, I don't want to turn people into monsters this was just kind of showing that kind of corruption <clears throat> how they would do anything for money kind of thing you yeah know, it was get people addicted to it and everything this was obviously the writer and director's little pop at the beauty industry like you know you profit off of people's un, you know insecurity and discomfort yeah. you monsters there's kind of a very ham-fisted metaphorical kind of thing they were going for a satirical uh, pop they were having but Paul Verhoeven wannabe <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it didn't it didn't really go, go off too well obviously Patience gives the game away she, she knocks something over and she's chased out of the building by security guards eagle-eyed listeners here may have spotted that one of the security guards is played by a guy called Byron Mann who has to be considered a little bit of a legend in the in the bad movie field because he played Ryu in Street Fighter the movie ah. which we love and we will review at some yeah. point so yeah Ryu himself and actually if you look on his IMDb he's done a loads of stuff mainly as a henchman he never again reached the heights of Ryu but um, yeah Byron Mann plays one of these henchmen and the other, other guy I uh, also looked up his IMDb he's He's actually been in Spider-Man films. He's been in The Crow. He's got been in. He's been a henchman in everything. Hmm. So these two henchmen here are the creme de la creme of henchmen. They they've been around, but yeah, I was particularly impressed by Ryu from Street Fighter the movie here, who even had a couple of lines as he was uh, as he was chasing them down. Evil uh, Laurel orders them to flush her out basically, and. Um, she ends up drowning 
So you remember yeah. the beginning of the movie when she said she was yeah. dying? This is it. It doesn't take that long. Makes you wonder why they bothered. Yeah. But yeah, she drowns. I think this is our first look at some of the most hideous CGI yeah, I've ever awful. seen in my life. Less noticeable on the cats than it is later in the film. <laughs> but we start to see a horde of CGI cats gather around her. And one cat in particular gives her the kiss of life and breathes a kind of a misty essence into her. And that turns her into Catwoman. It's a pretty underwhelming scene. Yeah, it is. Most superheroes undergo quite a bit of turmoil in order to become yeah. a superhero. <laughs> Usually involving something radioactive or some sort of tragedy involving their parents. Catwoman gets kissed by a cat. Well, we find out later it's no ordinary cat, but <laughs> nonetheless, at this point, it's a gang of cats that revive her. And uh, as he breathes the essence into her, her eye turns into a cat eye. Yeah. If you didn't know by now, yes, she is Catwoman. She's got the eye of a cat. So at this point, she starts hallucinating on this kind of muddy shore. Um, Things start jumping out at her. Now, I was was a bit concerned, uh, Mark, for you, because at this point, she sort of gets attacked by a seagull. And I know you've you've recently had a run in yourself (laughs) with a seagull. In in fact, you were were mugged for your Greg's pasty. Isn't that right? That is correct, yeah. Yeah. Did you get horrible flashbacks here during this sequence? I did, yeah. I thought I was having, like, PTSD kind of flashbacks. Yeah. Luckily, the seagull wasn't that convincing either, as it was also shitty CGI, which, how hard is it to get footage of a seagull? CGI seagulls, CGI cats, probably some other CGI bullshit here, but this this is how Catwoman becomes Catwoman, and she returns to her her apartment, and we, we, we get introduced to her. Her superpowers that she's acquired... Not as impressive as Supergirl's superpowers. She just jumps high. (laughs) She can jump (laughs) on a table. She can sleep on a shelf. (laughs) So these are her main main powers. The power of a cat. Very unimpressive. At this point, you're thinking, what kind of superhero is this going to be? Obviously, uh, she eventually is reintroduced to the cat who brought her back to life and takes it back to where it it lives and um, meets a crazy cat lady. She reveals that, well, this cat is called Midnight and it it's it's got special Egyptian powers. You know, you underestimate the cats, but the the cats have been worshipped throughout history. And there's even a you know there's a montage at the beginning of the film showing the cat cults of Egypt and how there have been cat women all through history. Mm. Women have been infused with the power of a cat, and it is these ancient mystical Egyptian powers that have made her the way that she is now. Understandably, she thinks this is a load of bullshit. And says, "Well, you know, I've brought your cat back. I'm going out now." And this is a scene that people probably have seen quite a lot. The woman takes something out of a box, throws it at her. She rubs this object all over her face. And the crazy cat lady says, Ah, catnip. (laughs) Ridiculous. Ridiculous. So this is another one of her her special powers. She likes catnip. This is the confusion of this film. She doesn't have the powers of a cat. She just does some things that cats do. Yeah. That aren't that useful. Slowly but surely, she uh, she starts to realise her her power. She becomes a bit more cocky in her job. A lot of her superpowers manifest as she was shy, but now she's quite outgoing. She stands up to her boss, yeah, and gets fired in front of everyone, and everyone cheers for her because they're like she yeah. ex- expresses the opinion that everyone else wants to say about him that he's. So it, it's quite a typical horrible. kind of sassy '90s movie kind of cliche. Yeah, he tells her off, and she says, "Ah, oh, sorry," and then she rethinks it and she goes 
hang on this is the sorry remix <laughs> and then she says sorry I worked for you you're such an asshole etc yeah. etc et but she tilts her head and she goes this is the remix <laughs> oh it's just daft really daft. so daft so cheesy not even Ali Berry can kind of get away with this bollocks but she's still she's still getting on with Tom the cop pretty well uh, they share a kind of a, a heated basketball game very pointless scene <laughs> other than to bring those two characters together but. well it also shows one of her other powers she's now really good at basketball yeah which cat, cats are known for yeah yeah be very useful throughout <laughs> the rest of the film I'm sure <laughs> basketball scene had been set to the strains of scandalous by oh, mystique yeah which very firmly dates it probably dates it a bit earlier than 2004 <laughs> if I'm honest but yeah so we go from so so scandalous she just she starts to get more confident but she now puts on the leather outfit and she goes out and she ends up uh, interrupting a robbery at a local kind of uh, museum or an art gallery you get a little makeover montage you know she cuts her hair short she puts on some makeup she puts on some leather this is the first proper action in the film really yeah when she's taking <clears throat> on these thieves yeah yeah, again, it's some very sort of ham-fisted woman discovering who she is and becoming strong and confident. At one point, she says, that's a perfect idea. Mm. Oh, God. You know, I could, for I could forgive right. other lines, but that, is <laughs> that wasn't the only line like that, but a perfect idea was one of them. Yeah. Uh, so she inter interrupts the robbery, and this is, this is her becoming the crime-fighting kind of character, similar to Batman. The next morning, they're sort of picking up after her, and then we we see the obviously the uh, the kind of irony that um, Tom the cop is actually the cop that's on the case yeah to find out who this person is that, that is the woman that he's actually dating so there's that kind of um, double identity idea there hmm. There were some reporters at the scene the next day and they're trying to come up with names for her I don't know if you caught this it was just in the background uh, but I, I heard it they said what do we call her cat chick cat broad oh yeah yeah I did catch that <laughs> we learn more and more that actually um, midnight this cat is not a normal cat it's immortal it's diabolical and we get this kind of um, we get this montage of all these old paintings of historical figures that have a cat in the picture yeah and every time it's this same cat mm -hmm. this cat who has lived forever <laughs> has traditionally turned women in history into cat women so there's the hint here that perhaps strong women in history have actually been cat women themselves mm. maybe Boudicca Joan of Arc <laughs> uh, Isabella you know Catherine the Great perhaps these were all cat women too so it's this kind of um, rewriting of history that, that cats have actually been behind everything <laughs> so again we, we get more scenes here with Sharon Stone I've just written Sharon Stone is awful because it's the truth she's just the worst there's, <laughs> there's interspersed scenes of, of, of Laurel and her husband squabbling hit each other they fight they threaten to kill each other yeah you're set up here for some you know obviously someone's going to come out on top here and win this sort of power struggle you realise that's going to be um, Laurel Sharon Stone here is going to get her way there is actually a bit where um, Patience wakes up and and she's receiving a call on her Nokia, <laughs> whatever the whatever the popular Nokia was in 2004. And she picks it up, and she's sort of getting a FaceTime call from Sharon Stone. Well, I'm pretty sure there wasn't that technology there yeah. in 2004, and it looks terrible. Uh, FaceTime on a Nokia in 2004, quite a, an 
anachronism. Catwoman was trying to prevent this evil cosmetics company from releasing this new product which is going to melt people's faces off. Mm. And in the course of trying to intervene, she ends up getting framed for the murder of the head of that company, which allows Laurel to swoop in and, and, and take over it all. And all the evidence is against Catwoman. It is. The evidence is against Catwoman and it's at this point that Tom realises, oh no, Catwoman is patience I've been dating Catwoman <laughs> one of the one of those colleagues says to him well you've lost your woman but you've got your man <laughs> what <laughs> awful leaves the path clear for uh, for Sharon Stone to be releasing this deadly product on the on the public but she manages to escape and uh, she goes to confront Laurel Hedare really quite a hilarious fight sequence here at the top of a skyscraper they're scrapping with each other amongst massive photos of Sharon Stone in the background. <laughs> she's obviously she's getting thrown through photographs of herself again in some sort of ham-fisted irony. And then it's revealed that Sharon Stone, because she's used so much makeup, has become invincible. <laughs> uh. Because, I quote... If you stop using it, your face will disintegrate. <laughs> but if you keep using it, you'll be like marble. So Catwoman punches her in the face and it doesn't do anything because she's got so much makeup on and she's had so much beauty cream over the years that she has now become like the man of steel, the woman of steel here. It's, it's like Supergirl again, mm. the Sharon Stone. I mean, this is just such a leap of the imagination. So late in the film, it's like, okay, this is just an evil, um, an evil villain, evil head of a corporation. You get these in lots of films. And then, oh, she's actually a supervillain because she's invincible. There's this line... You know, I'm a woman. I'm used to doing all the things I don't want to do. <laughs> I don't know what that was a reference to, but uh, again, these these clumsy lines here are very funny. Eventually, uh, Catwoman prevails on uh, on Sharon Stone, and she um, she plummets out of the out of the uh, skyscraper. Not bad enough that she's plummeted from a skyscraper, but she also looks a bit ropey now. Yeah, she's she's her beauty is is worn off mm. she's not invincible anymore she, her beauty cream has not helped her she's aged and she looks kind of the same just with a little bit of like a bruise on her face <laughs> to her that's terrible so Catwoman has prevailed over the cosmetics supervillain Sharon Stone Catwoman obviously um gets with Tom the cop and they uh, live happily ever after as far as I could tell so there you go Catwoman what were your overall thoughts on Catwoman Mark? oh it was so cheesy <laughs> the film is like a 2000 year old piece of Stilton <laughs> <laughs> I like the sound of that I would enjoy that a lot more than this film so cheesy um, it's not even as fun though is it as, as some bad films it, no. it, it's slow and it drags and it grinds you down I, yeah. I feel Supergirl I could laugh at this I just was like oh. it's a terrible diet like cheesy dialogue Yeah, poor direction terrible acting well some of the acting was okay but Sharon Stone was awful <laughs> I said interesting earlier I meant, I meant awful <laughs> it's okay I don't think she's listening I meant interesting and ironic so if you are listening Sharon Stone sorry but you know it's true point out some of the cheesy lines there was a bit when she got arrested and they said you'd be a nice kitty now <laughs> oh. and then and she went meow one bit when she yeah <laughs> She was at the bar. There was a bar scene sort of halfway through. Yeah. And she said, white Russian, no ice, hold the vodka, hold the Kahlua. 
So she basically a ordered glass. milk. Oh, milk. Yeah, yeah. A glass. <laughs> okay, so it's a glass a milk. of milk. Right, like right. Trying to be clever with the dialogue there. I didn't even notice um, that. Uh, yeah. Too clever for this film. Yeah. So there's, yeah, just a couple of quotes that I thought I'd chuck in there as well that were cheesy. Yeah. I guess I enjoyed it from an ironic perspective. But yeah. it wasn't a good film. It wasn't no. genuinely enjoyable. There wasn't any gripping plot points, or it was just cheesy and pretty poor. Yeah, brilliantly poor. So, out of these two films, if you had to uh, banish one of these to some sort of phantom zone on another planet, mm-hmm. which one would you banish, and which one would you keep? I think I'd keep Supergirl. Yeah, I agree. Um, Supergirl was at least fun. Equally as daft as Catwoman. Equally as misjudged and clumsy in the way that they kind of portrayed these characters and tried to spin them off of existing characters and existing universes. Supergirl referenced Superman a lot and Lois Lane and stuff that had happened. Catwoman didn't reference Batman or Gotham or that universe at all. And I'm not sure which is better or worse, to be honest. Hmm. I guess it makes the Supergirl look like a bit weaker because it's kind of trying to spin it off those characters. But if you're not spinning it off a more popular film, then how can you expect anyone to really get into it and get interested in it? Surely if there were references in Catwoman to maybe Batman or Gotham or some of these other characters, that would have made for a better film. Mm -hmm. And you could have even drafted in one of the many Batman villains. I'm sure a lot of our listeners will agree kind of the strength of the Batman films and universe are it's like amazing villains. Mm. And Catwoman did not have an amazing villain. It had Sharon Stone playing this really ordinary character in many ways. And I felt like they maybe could have drawn from some some villain in, in the Gotham universe or the DC universe that was already out there. And both of these films suffer from weak villains and very low stakes. Yeah. Nothing much at stake in either of these films, but um, I think Supergirl is much more fun. I guess it takes a while for bad movies to age. Perhaps we're just still not ready for Catwoman. It's not mm. been long enough. Yeah, maybe. It takes a good 20 years. Maybe it's still uh, too fresh. To, it's too soon. The music is still lingering yeah. now. 2004 isn't that long ago to me maybe it is to some people but yeah Supergirl is the better bad film here a lot more fun it's aged really well matured like a bad movie should and maybe someday Catwoman will get there as well (laughs) Um, so we did actually get some feedback uh, earlier today I did post on Twitter and Instagram at Schlock Tactics uh, asking people what they thought of uh, of both of these films what a ranker he's putting together a list basically of the um, the worst films and uh, he says Catwoman is going to be pretty near the bottom. <laughs> Who thought they could get away with those visual effects in 2004? We should talk a little bit maybe more about that. I mean, it's the scenes in which they switch from a real Halle Berry to a CGI Halle Berry yeah. that looks so dreadful. And I'm reminded of like the Scorpion King and the Mummy Returns around this similar time as well. This isn't the dawn of CGI. This is about 13 years into CGI. Yeah. <laughs> but there's still people who can't do it properly, yeah. uh, apparently. You look at Terminator 2 or I was about to Jurassic say Terminator Park, 2, yeah. came 12 years before this film. Amazing, seamless. Mm. The scenes in this, when Halle Berry was obviously meant to be traversing um, rooftops, it switches to this just ropey kind of PlayStation 2-looking character. Yeah. So fake. The cats are so fake. There's a fake seagull. There's more fake in, in Catwoman than there is real. What a ranker has, has nailed it there. The visual effects 
atmosphere for 2004 are laughable yeah. and it drags the film down a lot uh, also James Hernandez uh, kind of sticks up for Catwoman here he says uh, it wasn't great but he doesn't hate it as much as uh, a lot of people do it was fun to watch he acknowledges that Catwoman's name is Selena Kyle not Patience Phillips but he's seen worse apparently <laughs> I mean <laughs> I've seen worse as well, of course. I mean, and you can don't have to go that far back. You can go to Batman and Robin from the mid '90s, which was a diabolical film, probably worse than Catwoman. Yeah. And like I said at the beginning, there are a lot of um, superhero films out there featuring male leads that we could have reviewed, but they've all been reviewed already. And Batman and Robin is probably one of those. That's just a, a hideous film set in this, this same universe. And yeah, that's that's all the time we have for for feedback. But if you uh, if you do ever want to let us know what you thought of these films or um, ask us any questions about these films, even suggest any future films for us to review, just uh, you can find us at Schlock Tactics on Twitter. Uh, on Instagram and on Facebook as well uh, we want to hear what you think of these films as well if you did like either of these films of course you can check out the Superman films from the 70s and 80s that we mentioned with Christopher Reeve they're very similar in their kind of tone and their cheesiness to uh, Supergirl if you like Catwoman we just mentioned their Batman and Robin a diabolical film from the mid 90s featuring uh, similar characters there that you can watch there are obviously Tim Burton's Batman films which, which are actually pretty good and it's worth noting as well that um Supergirl actually did eventually make a comeback and has been turned into a TV show it's actually doing quite well yeah that would yeah. definitely be the first thing that comes up on Google search when you type in Supergirl yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to find Supergirl you'll probably find the more recent TV show which uh, which started a couple of years ago and yeah obviously Catwoman will make a comeback in Christopher Nolan's Batman films played by uh, Anne Hathaway um, which is kind of a much more grounded version not difficult to get a much more grounded version than, uh, than uh, Patience Phillips here but uh, you can go check that out and let us know if there's anything else uh, terrible superhero wise that we can review for you so yeah that's been another episode of Shock Tactics uh, please do uh, give us a review on iTunes give us a positive rating we are a five star podcast in there now we want to keep it that way so keep on uh, keep on rating us there do subscribe so you can get all the new episodes as soon as they become available we will be releasing two every month but that has been another episode of Shock Tactics my name is Ash and I've been joined by Mark goodbye Mark thanks for listening See you later, guys. Bye. Bye.